to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, Reiki practitioner, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and ebooks. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. Remember my disclaimer, the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice and is not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, submit it on the podcast page at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join our Facebook group, Wellness Wellness Podcast Tribe. Hello, hello. Happy Christmas week if you celebrate Christmas. Merry Christmas. If you don't celebrate Christmas, happy holidays. I am in the spirit. I am in the Bay Area with family, going to spend the holiday with my family and then head up to Hawaii later this week. So I am super excited. So I hope that you have something fun planned to celebrate the holidays, the new year. I cannot believe how quickly 2020 is approaching. It's freaking me out, but I am so excited because I know 2020 is going to be the best year ever. And I have a lot of personal goals for 2020, one of which is to really focus on my productivity and brain hacking and maximizing my cognitive abilities in general. And today's guest is the perfect person to chat with about all of that. Today I'm chatting with Jonathan Levy, who is a serial entrepreneur, best-selling author, and keynote speaker. He was born and raised in Silicon Valley. He started an e-commerce company at 16 years old that went on to become one of Inc.'s 5,000 fastest growing companies in America. And since 2014, he's been one of the top performing instructors on the online learning platform, Udemy, and he has since snowballed that success into the launch of his growing information products company, Superhuman Enterprises, which creates products like the award-winning Superhuman Academy podcast, the best-selling Become a Super Learner, print, digital, and audiobooks, and a bunch of other online courses through the online training portals through Superhuman Academy and Branding You Academy. All of his content is about making your brain and your life superhuman. Jonathan goes over everything from optimizing productivity and efficiency to speed reading to being able to memorize or learn anything much faster, how to grow a business around passive income, and everything in between. His latest book, The Only Skill That Matters, was published in 2019 this year, and that book is all about his own journey and the techniques that anyone can use to learn faster. These are techniques that anyone can use, everyone should use, and things that, no matter who you are, will be so applicable to your life and make your life so much easier. Everybody needs to learn how to learn, and Jonathan is going to help you do that in the best way possible. So if you are interested in finding more from Jonathan and checking out all of his courses on how to become a superhuman and have a superhuman brain, go to bit.ly slash superhumancrw, and that's where you can check out all of his products and courses, which after you listen to this, you will definitely want to check out. Again, that's bit.ly slash superhumancrw that will be in the show notes. And you can also find his new book there and on Amazon, which is called The Only Skill That Matters. And also make sure you check him out on Instagram at entrepreneur. That's E-N-T-R-E-P-R-E-N-E-W-E-R. And all of his links will be in the show notes as well. This episode is packed with helpful information. I do just want to say I had a bit of a cold when we were recording this, so if my voice sounds off, that's why. Sorry, you can still understand me, but if you're listening and you're thinking, why does Christina sound so different? It's because I had a cold. That's gone now, but yeah, just thought I would warn you. Either way, this episode is really about Jonathan sharing his knowledge, and I know you will get a lot out of this. So let's go ahead and hop into this interview with Jonathan Levy. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to chat with you and talk about all things superhuman learning. 
But for any of my listeners who aren't familiar with you, why don't you share a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah. So hello, human friends. <laughs> uh, my name is Jonathan Levy. I'm an author, podcaster, uh, keynote speaker, entrepreneur, life hacker, husband. I wear a lot of hats in a given day, but uh, I'm most known for my series of courses, books, and podcasts on accelerated learning, speed reading, and memory. And I kind of travel the world uh, teaching people how to use their brains. Yeah, so what got you into all that? Yeah, well, growing up, I was not a great student. Uh, in fact, I was a pretty lousy student, and I had to be medicated just to get through high school and college. And when I got accepted to business school, I kind of realized that my old trick of like taking a bunch of prescription medication and locking myself in the bedroom to catch up to everything that every other student understood in class, that wasn't going to work anymore because I actually wanted to network and build connections and, you know, have friends. So um, I uh, was very lucky that at that time I discovered uh, two people, a husband and wife duo who had been teaching memory and speed reading to kids with learning disabilities. So that was definitely a uh, shut up and take my money moment. But I never thought that I would be teaching it. Um, I went through business school. It was awesome. I was able to do all the reading and really keep up with uh, with all the course load. And people kept asking me, like, how do you do that? Can I take you to lunch? Can you teach me how to read faster? And I thought, that's interesting. So fast forward, you know, to the end of the curriculum, um, I was in between startup ideas. The thing that I'd been working on didn't work out. And I was like, maybe just as a side project, I'll build an online course. I didn't know anything about building online courses or video editing or marketing content or, or writing courses or pedagogy, any of it but I knew how to learn. So I set about learning. I took about a month to learn everything I could. And when I finally put this side project up online, it just took on a life of its own. It grew like crazy. And uh, fast forward to today, we have 15 different courses and products, three books, a podcast with three and a half million downloads and kind of just got away from me. <laughs> I mean, it's a good a good thing to get away from you, I think. Yeah, um, well, that version of the story makes it sound like it happened on accident. There was definitely a lot of sweat, blood, and tears from that kind of viral moment to actually making it into what I like to call a big boy business. Yeah, always. Okay, well, I want to rewind a bit. Um, my first question is, where were you getting your prescription drugs when you were younger to... Uh, be able to learn. By. I got a prescription. <laughs> One did? thing my parents did really, really well is they were actually cool parents. I know like most parents who think they're cool and are not cool. Um, my parents were really cool. So I just went to them and I said, Hey, mom and dad, you know, uh, last week during finals, a friend gave me the pills that he had been prescribed and it really helped me. And I want to go talk to Dr. Levetter was his name. And they were like, okay, cool. Thank you for telling us and not, you know, hiding it from us. And let's go talk to the doctor and see if that's a thing. And they'd had me tested for ADD when I was like eight years old. So they knew that I had this problem. It was just a matter of, is he going to be able to get over it on his own? And back then, this will tell you how old I am back then, like getting kids to meditate and finding all natural ways to overcome ADD. That wasn't a thing. Like no one talked about meditation back then. Um, and, uh, and the doctor said, yeah, this is, this is a good fit. Like, you know, if, if he didn't have to sit in school, he probably wouldn't need it, but to sit still and pay attention in class. Yeah. This, this would probably help him. So what do you think about, I mean, okay, controversial. So what do you think about the diagnosis ADD and how that affects learning? Do you think that's the issue? Yeah. Well, I don't actually think ADD is an issue. I think ADD is a superpower yeah. uh, if you're in the right environment, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm still discovering, like yesterday, two days ago, I was working with a coach who's coaching me through just getting to the next level. And she was talking about like, what are your creative outlets? And, and I realized like I am just happiest when I'm creating. And I think most people who have ADD are that way. The problem is we live in a world where you kind of got to sit through 18 plus years of school. And that's not a very, at least not today, it's not a very creative thing. It's not a very fun thing. And so I think ADD is, I like to think of it as like myopia, right? So if, if, we didn't all sit around looking at screens and reading books. We wouldn't need glasses, but we do. So a lot of people need glasses or contact lenses. 
And I think the same is true of Adderall and Ritalin and stuff like that. I don't think it would exist if we were learning the way that our brains meant to learn or were evolved to learn. We can talk about what that means. But also, you know, if kids who were born to be artists or entrepreneurs didn't have to sit through geometry class. <laughs> yeah. So let's dive into that. So what do you think is the way we were meant to learn? What would be better? Yeah, so we know from just the way that our brains work and and millions of years of evolution and observing how tribal hunter-gatherers today, the, the remaining few hunter-gatherers that are actually out there, we know from, from studying them that our brains are meant to, first off, have highly engaging visual and sensory learning experiences. Now, you can say a lot of things about textbooks, but they're not visual and they're not sensory and they're not experiential. So when I say visual and sensory, I mean that research has actually shown that our brains inextricably link memory to pictures and locations. And the reason we do that is because for millions of years, if you couldn't remember what that poisonous berry looked like, or you couldn't remember where you buried the winter food supply, you weren't going to pass your genes on. And so we're really, really astonishingly good at remembering pictures and locations. And in fact, when you get into the world's most elite memory athletes, and yes, that's a real thing. There are actually memory athletes who can do things like memorize a deck of cards in 13 seconds. Uh, you see that they're using this to their advantage. Now, most of us don't want to memorize a deck of cards in 13 seconds, but we would really love to go to a conference or networking event and before we get there, look at the directory or you know the app that they give you for the conference and memorize all 150 people's names. That would be a really cool thing to walk in the room and then when you meet someone who you've been trying to talk to, you walk up to them and go, hey, you're Christina, right? I read your bio and it said X, Y, and Z and I was really interested to talk to you because I also have a podcast. And you'd just be like, wow, who is this person that stalked me? But <laughs> it would be really powerful to be able to do that. And the way that we do that is by creating visual associations and by connecting our memories together. So a lot of times when people learn something new, they treat it as something new instead of thinking, how is this connected to the things I know? When you look at something new, what your brain immediately does, you have two dedicated centers in the brain called the hippocampi, one in the left hemisphere, one in the right. And immediately the hippocampi goes, this is not related to anything that I care about even remotely. Let's forget it as soon as we go to sleep. And you do. Sometimes you forget it even before. So by creating those connections and by making it visual and bizarre and coming up with strange different pictures, we trick our brain into thinking things are more important than they are. And we give ourselves actually a fighting chance to remember it. In fact, you can do incredible stuff using these techniques. And, you know, you can memorize 1500 people's names in an hour if you wanted to. Okay. Okay. What about people who feel like they're more of a, they learn better by reading? Yeah. So a lot of people believe that they learn better by reading or listening and they do. And mm -hmm. my answer to that is the human brain is not only the most complex object in the known universe, it's also one of the most adaptable. I mean, short of like viruses, I can't think of anything that adapts itself better than the human brain. If you train it to be an artist, it'll be an artist. If you train it to be a musician, it will literally speak a different language than the rest of us. If you teach it to be a martial artist, it'll do that. And if you sit it in a classroom from age five until age 22, if you're lucky, and 30, if you're, uh, if you're less lucky and you want to do a PhD in philosophy, <laughs> and you sit it there and lecture at it, it will adapt itself to learning by auditory means, by listening. But I always tell people, if you're learning by listening, you, you know, you like listening to audiobooks, that's kind of like being on that junky old diesel from the 1960s and there's a bunch of smoke coming out and sometimes the engine misfires. Whereas if you switch to developing your natural photographic memory, it's like that brand new Tesla. You, tap, you just faintly touch on the gas and you're instantly there. The human brain can recognize a picture in 13 milliseconds. That's point zero one three seconds so just imagine if i were to describe a picture to you right i have a picture here in my office and it's a it's this beautiful dragon 
and it's uh, the dragons eating a hummingbird and it's, or, you know, it would take me an hour to describe this photo to you. But if I showed it to you, you'd recognize it in 13 milliseconds. Mm-hmm. And the same is true with memorizing and understanding pictures. If you were to visualize something, not only would it be more memorable, but you can instantly create that memory. A lot of people like to tell me, oh, you know, I took a class on memory once and they told us to make everything into a song. And I'm like, that's really cool. What's the 11th letter of the alphabet? And they go, um, A, B, C, D, D, it's K. I'm like, okay, in my memory palace, I just go to the 11th station and I know. Yeah. And I can, you know, if I ever get pulled over by the police, I can also tell you the uh, alphabet backwards because it's indexed in my memory palace. It's a visual journey in the same way that when you go and we can talk more about memory palaces. But if I asked you to describe as you walk into your house, what's the first thing you see, then the second thing you see, and then the third thing you see, you're just there and you can do it and it's instant and it's fast. Yeah. And so when I was younger, I remember being in elementary school and our teachers would always ask us to raise our hands or do you better, do you learn better, um, in terms of audio visually or by reading something? And I never knew what to pick because I felt like I learned the best by reading things on the page. But Mm -hmm. when I remembered it wasn't, it it was because I I would remember the image of the words and where it was on the page. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it was, it was in terms of visuals. I just thought it was, it was reading because I was seeing words. Yeah, and it it's crazy. Like the more I've dug into this stuff and really tried to understand better, you know, I'm not trained as a neuroscientist. We employ a neuroscientist to, to audit our materials, but I'm not a trained neuroscientist. And the more I've researched, I've just had my mind blown. Like I have found research, again, that that shows they actually now think as of 2017, I believe it was the MIT Riken lab. I, I could be confusing that with another study, but they actually now believe that you can't have a memory without some form of picture associated with it or wow. location. And and what's super fascinating, of course, there's very different types of memory, by the way, like muscle memory is very different from episodic memory is different from semantic memory, but I'll give you an example. What's the first thing people ask you when it happens to be, you know, when JFK died or 9-11 or when Princess Diana died, like big events, what's the first thing they ask you? Where were you? Exactly. No one ever asks, what were you doing? Which would be an interesting, I mean, that'd be logical, right? Yeah. They never ask like, what news were you watching? Who told you? You would think that would be the interesting thing. Like, how did you find out? Did you find out from the news, a friend? We don't even remember. I mean, I remember because I was sitting in front of a TV in a classroom, but that's, isn't that crazy? Like these big life events, no one ever asks, how did you feel when you heard? They always ask, where were you when? Yeah, that's very true. Well, I want to get more into memory techniques and memory palaces, but my question is, if you were to redesign the education system, what would you say would be better for learning? Well, first and foremost, I think there should be a component in memory. I, I joke in in my new book, The Only Skill That Matters, that you know you have at least 10 years of physical education where they teach you how to use your arms and legs and stretch your muscles and all that good stuff. And they teach you how to throw a handball at other kids. <laughs> you have half a year of really awkward sex education where they teach you how to use the other parts of your body. But no one ever sits you down and goes, okay, here's how your brain works. And you have these two things called hippocampi. And, and if you want your, your memories to work, what you want to do is you want to connect them to this. And, you know, actually explaining to us a little bit about how our brains work, you know, it, it is a very complex thing, but it's pretty easy to understand if I explain it to you. And I think that would be the first component, right, is, is teaching kids and teachers how the brain actually works so we can design our curriculum around that. Within that, I I also would love to see more visualization and more experiential learning where kids can actually see what they're learning. Like invariably when when I speak to audiences and I ask them, what are some of the most memorable things you ever learned in grade school? There are a couple of things that come up and I'd be interested to hear, Christina, if these resonate with you as well. One of them is always, you know, the the day we dissected a frog or a pig. Everyone remembers that. <laughs> I don't know if schools still do that in the day of, of animal rights. <laughs> I don't think and so. And then there was 
<laughs> right. And then there was the day that, you know, we did that egg experiment where we had to work as a team and drop an egg off the roof of class. And there are a couple of different like touchstone points in our education that we remember. And every single one of them is an experiential learning experience. So the most innovative schools in the world from, you know, Montessori schools to Muse, which uh, the, the Cameron uh, family has has founded, they teach kids by doing. For example, kids don't learn biology from a textbook. They learn it by gardening. They don't learn mathematics by doing it in a textbook. They learn it by, you know, having a, a bake sale that runs all year round and the kids manage the, the school and they learn basic addition and subtraction by giving change and on and on and on. Um, and I think that's that's such an amazing way for people to learn because the human brain doesn't really want to learn anything that's not practically applicable. Our brains are 2% of our body's mass and yet they already consume 20% of our body's uh, resources. They're these massive energy hogs. And so our brains try to be as efficient as possible. Otherwise, the whole thing would just break down. Yeah. So do you think that we spend a lot of time in school learning things we don't need to? Like I always think about higher level math, for example. Mm -hmm. And for me, I mean, I don't need trig for my daily life, right? but I never, exactly. I never learned how to do my taxes, you know, like <laughs> totally. Isn't that ridiculous? Like I think about that as well. And trigonometry usually is, is the subject that I most pick on. Cause you can almost justify, uh, geometry calculus also. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I think we as a society need to agree on some subjects that are just basic literacy, for example, and this is a controversial opinion, but I fundamentally believe that you should need to pass a, a, a certain level exam, really. Uh, and it doesn't have to include reading and writing skills, but you, you basically need to understand the history and laws of your country or should need to understand that in order to vote. Mm -hmm. I think, look, if you're 18 years old and you're going to vote, you need to understand just the basic, like where we've been, our history, what does our constitution actually say, and, and what are the values of our society? Um, and, you know, we as a society need to decide, like every kid, I believe, should take history. Mm -hmm. Every kid should take basic math. Probably every kid should take algebra because it's a really great way to find out if that kid has an aptitude to programming, right, mm -hmm. and, and learning technology. I think every kid should have to take technology. Um, but there are some subjects that I really don't think we should all have been forced to take. Um, and, and so I agree with you in that regard and imagine what other wonderful things we could fit into a curriculum if we cut some of the fat, like yeah. personal finance, I think is the most important one. Why in, in a country that's increasingly secular in a world that's increasingly secular, why hasn't school swooped in to fill the role that religion once filled, which is teaching ethics and people skills and how should we behave to one another and how should we treat one another? Because a lot of people don't get it from church and that's fine. I think that's, there's no value judgment there, but it would be really nice if schools taught that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, think of the electives that we could put in entrepreneurship and some schools are already doing programming. I think that's really cool. And environmental conservation. Wouldn't it be cool if we were teaching 15 year old kids about environmental conservation and, and how to design solutions for tomorrow? Yeah, it'd be very helpful. Um, I right? think, I think the problem with some of those is like, who's going to design the curriculum for ethics? You know, that makes me nervous. Right. <laughs> That is true. That is true. I hadn't thought about that, actually. <laughs> so let's get into some of the memory techniques that could help. Yeah. Um, I didn't take a class on memory until I was a senior in college. And I remember thinking, wow, I wish someone had, had told me all this information when I was like seven. But let's talk about memory palaces. What does that mean? Yeah. So a memory palace is basically once you take this visual symbol that you've created, whether it's for someone's name or for a foreign language word, whatever it might be, you can even create visual symbols for different numbers. And let's just say um, you're Christina and I want to memorize you by imagining you with makeup and hair 
like Christina Aguilera. And just to be safe, I'm going to put a little, you know, genie lamp on your shoulder and visualize that. And that's how I'm going to remember that you're Christina. Now, what I've done is I've associated that with a pre-existing memory that I already have. I'm telling my brain, hey, this is important. Remember when you had a big crush on Christina Aguilera in, in grade uh, seven? Well, you better remember Christina because somehow she's connected to that awkward time, right? Um, and then what I want to do, and this isn't for everything, right? I wouldn't do this for memorizing one person's name, but if I wanted to memorize an hour long lecture and not have to look at my notes, or if I wanted to memorize a deck of cards or, you know, any, I wanted to learn a new language and organize all the parts of speech and all my vocabulary. What you then do is you put it in the layout of a building that, you know, that can be your home, your office, it can be stores that you frequent. And the trick is, this is actually a 2,500 year old technique. The trick is your brain kind of can't forget it. I mean, I have things dusting around in memory palaces from five years ago that I literally cannot forget. Mm -hmm. And especially if you anchor that image, right? So let's just say, I'm gonna memorize that you're Christina. I'll just put you by the TV because that's where I used to watch music videos of, of Christina Aguilera in my childhood home. I'm going to remember not only where to look for you in the same way that if I ask you like, hey, Christina, where's the shampoo in your house right now? Like there's no question, right? It's in the shower. Yeah. And I bet you could tell me which corner of the shower you left it in, right? Yeah. You Did you, did you spend any effort trying to remember that this morning? No. <laughs> nope. It just happens. And in fact, you can't help it. You can't help but do it. And if I were to ask you things that you don't even know you care about, like, uh, and you don't care about, like, when was the last time you went on vacation? And you'd be like, I don't know, three months ago. And I'd be like, what hotel do you stay at? And you, you might not remember the name, but I bet you could remember what side of the room the bed was on and where the bathroom was and if it was a nice bathroom. So your brain does this automatically. The memory palace is just kind of hacking that infrastructure and using it for something that's uh, actually useful. Okay, so what buildings do you use? Yeah, so I try to design my memory palaces based on what I need. So for example, if I was doing the NATO phonetic alphabet, there's only 24 characters in it. I'm not going to use some big, you know, mansion, a friend's house that's a mansion. I'm going to use a small hardware store downstairs. You can use any building that you're familiar with. And even if you misremember that building, it's okay as long as you misremember at the same time every time. So you can use anything. Uh, and I always tell people, they always say like, should I reuse a memory palace? I always tell people they're free. Go get another one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can be as wasteful as you want. And I know a lot of memory champions, including my friend Nelson Dellis, who won the USA championship four times, when they're training uh, or they want to create new palaces, they'll just go for a walk. They'll use entire cities or, you know, they'll drop into a store they've never been in before, walk around. Sales lady says, can I help you? No, nope, just looking around, literally. <laughs> walk around, get the layout of the store. Boom, you have a new memory palace. Yeah, so you speak a few languages. So did you use that technique to uh, learn languages? I wish that I had known this technique for the first three languages that I learned, uh, but I didn't. But when I went to learn Russian, I did use it for the vocabulary. And later, I actually figured out a way, and, and I don't know if anyone else has done this, but I figured out a way to actually adapt the memory palace to grammar. I learned Russian and uh, it's a very, very, very hard language uh, grammatically because you have not only tenses, not only three genders, but you also have six cases, meaning uh, I can say Christina six different ways based on if you're the subject of the sentence or the object or whatever. So it's hard and I struggled for months trying to figure out how these rules work and then I was like, oh, right, memory palace. And then I knew it in 20 minutes. You know, it took me more time to design the memory palace than to actually memorize it. And to this day, I know that if I were talking about you, I would talk, you know, I would say Christinom instead of Christina, for so, example. So can, I'm trying to like make this tangible. So let's say someone wants to learn a language. How would they use the memory palace to, to learn that? They just put different words in different places? Yeah, you would want to convert all your vocabulary words into visual images, and then you would start laying them out in the memory palace. And I, I go pretty deep in the book on how you actually want to do it and some tricks for picking the right places. But that's the basic idea. I mean, with that alone, you can do crazy feats of memory. 
But the first trick, the, the most important thing, Christina, is to take that word because the minute someone tells you like, okay, you know, uh, goodbye in Russian, you want to say do svidania. The minute I tell you that it's in one ear and out the other, but if you convert that into an image, right, and figure out what it sounds like to you, so it's like do and then svidania, that kind of sounds like Sweden in Hebrew, so I picture like someone driving through Sweden. You come up with an image that's unique to you mm-hmm. and then visualize that image. That's going to stay much longer than the sound dos vidania, which is gone, <laughs> yeah. you know, as quickly as you say it. I hope you're enjoying this interview with Jonathan Levy as much as I am, but we are going to take a brief pause to talk about today's podcast sponsor, Blue Blocks. On the topic of optimizing your brain health and your superhuman abilities, wearing blue blockers every day is a really simple hack that everyone should incorporate into their lifestyles to balance out their hormones, improve their sleep, improve their mood, have more energy and focus during the day, prevent any digital eye strain or headaches, and even balance out your hunger signals. We are surrounded with blue light constantly and we are being exposed to blue light at times during the day that aren't optimal for our natural circadian rhythms, which is why blue light blocking glasses are key and my favorite company is Blue Blocks. I have used a bunch of other different companies in the past and these are the only blue light blocking glasses that are 100% backed by the science. And I really was not getting the full benefits until I switched to Blue Blocks Blue Light Blocking Glasses. They have three different lenses. Their Sleep Plus lens is their red lens that blocks 100% of the blue and green light spectrum necessary so that you have more REM and deep sleep, which means better sleep overall, reduced anxiety, relaxation. I use these every evening when the sun goes down. And then during the day, you can either choose between the Blue Light Clear Lens or the Summer Glow Yellow Lens. The blue light clear lens is ideal for people who work in more natural lighting and the summer glow yellow lens is blue light blocking meets color therapy and best for people who either struggle with seasonal depression and or work under intense artificial lighting during the day. And if you want to really hack your sleep, check out their Remedy Sleep Mask, which is their 100% light blocking sleep mask. Blue Blocks has about 20 different frames to pick from, and they are stylish frames. They are not weird looking. I get compliments on my blue light blocking glasses all the time, and especially my daytime ones. People don't even realize that they are blue blockers. You can also send in your own frames or utilize their service for custom-made prescriptions. They even go a step further by donating a pair of reading glasses to Restoring Vision, who gives them to someone in need for every pair of blue light blocking glasses they sell. This is seriously one of the best investments you will ever make. And if you want to learn more about the science behind this, make sure you listen to episode 230 with founder Andy Mant, who is a light expert. If you are ready to get a pair for yourself, just go to blueblocks.com, that's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com, and use my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S, for 15% off. Again, that's blueblocks.com, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com, and use that code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S, for 15% off. Now that we've covered sleep hacks, let's go ahead and hop back into learning hacks with Jonathan Levy. Okay, so when I was learning Spanish growing up, Mm-hmm. My professor <clears throat> had me write down vocabulary words 10 times in a row. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about that technique? I mean, I can get it in one time. <laughs> I'll save you I'll save you a lot of effort. That that may help with the spelling. Spelling is a whole different story, yeah. right? Um that might actually help really well with spelling, but I think where where your professor went wrong is we do need repetition. Repetition is very, very important. You can't learn something by learning it once. And even with memory techniques, ask any memory expert or the person who wins the worldwide championship every year, ask them two weeks later, hey, what was the winning you know, number streak? Mm. They won't remember because they don't review it. But first, we want to re- review in spaced intervals. So reviewing 10 times right now isn't going to help you. What's going to help you is reviewing now and tomorrow and then four days and then 10 days and then 30 days and then half a year until you create these spaced intervals where you'll never forget that word, even if you don't use it for 50 years. Um, And that's a lot more valuable than just doing this rote repetition. 
Um, and we use in our method, a piece of software that I talk all about in the book and how you can use it, uh, that will actually do that for you. It'll figure out like how hard a word is for you based on your feedback and then tell you, you don't need to review this word for 17 years, for example. Oh, wow. That'd be nice. Yeah. It saves a lot of time. Okay. Can we talk about comprehension? Um, mm-hmm. cause I would love to talk about, you know, if people are reading things, um, trying to get information that way, what's the best way for them to retain it and remember it and comprehend it? Yeah. So it's, it's those same two skills. Truthfully, first you want to create visual markers and mnemonics. And then even with things that you're reading, you want to perform spaced repetition. So in our method, we advocate that people read a page as they're turning the page, spend two seconds, you can afford to spend two seconds just thinking, what did I learn on that page? There's repetition number one, get to the end of the chapter, put your finger in the book, or if it's Kindle, you don't even have to put your finger in the book, look up at the ceiling or, or stare off into space. First off, really good for your eyes for two, you know, every few minutes change the range. You don't want to be looking the same distance all day. And second, Spend a few minutes. Think about what did I learn in that chapter? How does it compare to everything else that I learned in the rest of the book? What what am I learning? That's repetition number two. You finish the book. You read over your highlights. I like to export my highlights into Evernote or I use a software as well called Readwise. Export your highlights. Review your highlights. Usually, you know, you've been reading that book for a week, sometimes two. That's repetition number three. Now you go back every few months, reread those books repetitions four through whatever. So when I read a book, I'm actually performing that repetition and trying to, and it takes a few minutes. You know, how long does it take to actually review your notes? And and this app that I discovered called Readwise can actually do it for you. It just sends me a weekly digest of like 20 highlights from books that I've read. It reminds me of all the things that I've learned in the 200 books that I've read, you know, since, since I was uh, younger. So do you do that with everything you read? You take highlights and then you review notes later? I try to, yeah. And I wasn't as good about it until I discovered this app Readwise, which mm-hmm. just puts it in my email inbox. Now it's really easy. And I have a personal rule with myself. I never delete that email unless I read it. Gotcha. So I'm thinking the topic of notes, like for people in school, let's say, um, is there a difference between handwriting notes and typing them? There is some research that shows that handwriting is actually going to be more effective. Um, I personally think a lot of the reason is distraction, right? Like I I have a saying, uh, which is screen goes on, mind goes off. And I believe that to be true. The minute a screen goes up, you're, I mean, even if you're not connected to the internet, right? Like just looking at my computer right now, and, and it's just you and me and the Skype window, but I've got so many little bubbles at the bottom of my screen and there's so much color and there's all kinds of crap happening. And you know, the top of my screen shows the time. It's just, it's so much more distracting. And then you throw in the internet and the fact that most of us get our iMessages on our computer, or at the very least we get our emails popping up on there. You know, I have switched back to paper because, Mm -hmm. and I didn't use paper for years because it just, I can think more creatively, which means not only am I taking notes, you know, if I'm at a conference or whatever, I'm taking notes, but my brain is actually engaged. I'm not just typing, I'm actually thinking. And I find a lot of the times I'll, I'll take a note, I'll write something, and then I'll do a little arrow under and be like, I wonder if I could use this for this. Mm-hmm. And I don't find that I do that as much on the computer. Yeah, I mean, I would love to kind of just chat about how you feel the digital world and just the influx of tech is influencing people's memories and like our ability to learn. Is uh, that good or bad? It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's quite sad. <laughs> it's quite sad because most people, most people don't believe in their memory anymore. They don't trust their memory. And the truth of the matter is each and every one of you listening to this, you have a superhuman memory. You can do incredible feats of memory. And the worst thing is many of us don't see the value in memory anymore. They think, you know, I have Google at my fingertips 24-7 anywhere I go. So why would I need memory? And I would say you don't need memory to become a human encyclopedia. You need memory, one, 
because it's really nice to connect with other human beings and, and speak their language or remember their name. Or when I talk to an employee of mine and I remember exactly what we talked about and I remember that their kid who's named, you know, X, I won't say, was having difficulty in school and, and, and that's the last conversation. You know, it's important for connecting with other human beings. But in addition, there's no creativity without memory because creativity is combining ideas and thoughts and resources and materials, whatever it may be, in new and novel ways. Well, in order to combine those things in new and novel ways, you need to remember that they exist. And if you look at the most creative people, they're, for example, in the world of software, creative software is just taking different ideas for interfaces and technologies and combining it in new and unique ways. Well, that means you need to understand what everyone else is doing out there and you need to remember it. Yeah, so... In terms of how so many more people are using technology, like I just think it's a double-edged sword because we have access to more information and so people think we're smarter. But mm-hmm. I feel like because no one memorizes anything, we're, we're not. And people are really lazy. They don't even want to look things right. up. Right. Yeah, I think I, I just, I wish people, I wish on so many different levels that people would train and honor their brains because we haven't even talked about like Alzheimer's dementia and and the importance of using your brain. By the way, you know, research has actually shown that the way, I mean, we talked about this earlier, right, Christina, that the whole idea of your brain will adapt to whatever conditions you put it in. And yeah. this culture where you can't even write a text message because your phone will actually buzz and show you another text message while you're writing a text message. Yeah. It's crazy. And it is actually creating conditions in our brains where we are incapable of focusing on one thing. Now, we know that human beings are happier the more time they spend in flow, in this conditioned state of of hyper-focus. And many people are training their brains to never be able, not be capable of getting into flow. What exactly do you mean by that? Because we're multitasking too much? Yeah, well, multitasking I think is is a misconception and has really been disproven. But we're we're allowing our we're task switching too much and we're constantly mm-hmm. distracted. And you you know this if you've ever seen, uh, you know, a, a millennial like they can't even focus on watching their favorite TV show. They have to text while they're doing it, or you know, they're listening to uh, listening to. I'm really showing my age here. They're watching TikTok videos while they're watching the latest episode of Rick and Morty. And you're just like, they cannot do one thing at a time. And, uh, and okay, fine. Like they, they might say, look, you need to be dynamic. You need to be able to multitask. It's BS. You'll never do creative, uh, innovative, deep work mm-hmm. if you can't focus on one thing at a time. Yeah, so how do you personally set boundaries or organize your day or do you have any type of like rules with yourself to make sure that you stay on track with that? Yeah. I understand and accept the fact that these technologies, systems, it's, it's the same with dieting. Like the, the environment and the conditions are much stronger than I am. Like Mm -hmm. it's me against engineers who spend their entire day thinking about how to make things addictive, whether it's in the supermarket or the app store. And so I realized like I cannot be trusted and, and, and it's not just me. None of us can be trusted. Like if you buy the Doritos and the Doritos are in your cabinet, 97% of people are going to eat those Doritos, right? And it's the same with Facebook on your phone. If you allow yourself unlimited time on Facebook, you will spend a lot of time on Facebook. So I give myself 15 minutes. I have 15 minutes and I don't even have the Facebook app on my phone, but all combined entertainment apps on my phone, I can choose every day. Do I want to watch one 15 minute YouTube video on my phone? I really like uh, car reviews. I'm I'm a big fan of uh, Doug DeMauro's YouTube channel. Do I want to browse funny, you know, internet videos and memes or do I want to scroll Instagram? That's my 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I don't spend any more time on social media. Same on my computer. Um, I have limits and I have restrictions. The lights in my house turn out at 10 p.m. That's time to go to bed. All the lights just turned out. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I've realized that I, I just have to engineer systems to keep me in check because the environment is is not conducive to my success. Yeah, so... 
do you have any suggestions for people whose jobs are mainly on social media? Because this is becoming more and more common. Yeah. Well, a couple things. One, I would strongly recommend it's kind of do one thing at a time, right? So Mm -hmm. if your job is social media and you're browsing Twitter and reading for something, don't jump around. Like what you're looking for is what you're looking for and do that and focus and train your brain. I think you also mindfulness, you know, train your brain to focus on one thing, even if your job is, is to be dynamic and be jumping around. But I would think that no matter what you're doing in your job, there should be time for you to carve out focused, creative work. Uh, A great book to read on this is deep work by Cal Newport. And he talks about just little things that you can do. For example, next time you're waiting in line in the grocery store, or you're waiting at a restaurant, your friend gets up and go to the restroom. What do we all do in that moment? Look at our phones. (laughs) We all grab our phones. Train yourself to just be for that five minutes. Just be, just stand there, just look at what's happening around you and and break that addictive habit. Yeah. Um because these little moments of gaining back control, they grow in the same way that that consciousness elevates when you meditate, you create this kind of space. Yeah, well, do you have any other productivity tips in general? Like, I'm curious how you schedule your day for maximum productivity. Because yeah, so I, I, I can imagine your 15 minutes might be at a certain time of day. Um, it's usually toilet time, if I'm completely <laughs> honest. Uh, but the way I schedule my day, I try. I'm not perfect. I'm on a book tour right now, so I have yeah. to make time for interviews. Uh, whenever I can, but I try that Mondays and Thursdays are my communication days. It's mm-hmm. the only days I do email interviews, phone calls, things like that. Every other day is creative work and really I, tr- the more strict I am, the happier I am, but I try to take no calls on other days. I try to take absolutely no emails and really allow myself time for these deep focused days. Same with free days. My weekends are my weekends. I don't check email on the weekend. I don't check Slack. My free days are my free days. And, uh, and I try to keep that time very clean and clear because otherwise you just, you mix and email eats everything. Like you'll just sit and refresh your email all day. Yeah. That's my, uh, number one issue is email takes away too much of my time. Totally. So just stop doing it. <laughs> I, know, I know. But don't you ever feel like they build up and then it gets overwhelming? Uh, they do, but I have a hack for that. And I teach a lot of these kinds of hacks in our super error. Well, I don't even know the names of all the courses anymore. <laughs> our Speed Demon Masterclass. It's a course on productivity and automation. So uh, if you send me an email, you'll get a reply. And that reply will say to you, um, I'm trying to find it cause I also have an automation that automatically deletes it from my sent box. <laughs> um, well, it'll basically say, I guess I won't read you the whole thing. It'll basically say, ah, oh, here we go. Found it. Hi there. Thanks for your email. This is just a quick note to let you know that I've received it. Disclaimer. While I read the majority of the mail that comes to this address, I do not commit to responding to all of it. If a reply is required, please note it may take up to two weeks. If it's urgent, you can reach out to my wonderful executive assistant, her name and email. If it involves customer service, please direct your email to our customer service email. Thanks for your patience and understanding. P.S. If you don't need to be reminded of this every time you email me, just include hashtag no auto in the next message you send me and you won't get an auto response. Oh Super easy. Oh my God. Wait, 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 wait. I need that. Uh, yeah. I need yeah, that. Yeah, you do. And the trick is, the magic trick is I've written crazy Gmail scripts and all kinds of crazy crap so that it doesn't get sent to all the do not replies. And so it doesn't become an endless repeat loop um, and it doesn't get sent to anyone on my team. And we actually, in one of my courses, we have a full on uh, in this, uh, like like we have a a tool that allows you to build out your automations. It's kind of cool. I can send it to you. Yeah, okay, wait, so you have a course that will explain exactly how to set that up. Oh, man, yeah, we have we have a lot of different courses. I'm a geek. Christina, I'm a real big geek, so uh, I love this kind of crap. 
And um, we do have, that's in, I believe our digital Zen course. It might also be in our speed demon course. Now, the reason I brought that up is not to show off what a prick I am, <laughs> but um, but just to say like the reason I do that is is because you train people how to communicate with you, right? Yeah. Like if you're always answering WhatsApp messages immediately, you train people that they can interrupt you at any time. Mm -hmm. So on WhatsApp, my status is always, I don't answer messages immediately. Um, <laughs> on LinkedIn, my profile says, Jonathan Levy is a blah, 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 blah. He does not use LinkedIn, period. <laughs> um, so it's like, but people who need to reach me know how to get to me, right? Like if if there's an important email and, and Shell contacts me to come speak at their conference, like it'll get to me. Mm -hmm. um, but I just have lines and lines of, of defense. And the reason I send that auto response is really to lower the pressure from me because I used to feel like I needed to answer people's emails immediately and now I don't. Um, yeah. because I clearly tell people I might not reply if it doesn't need a reply and it's going to take me probably two weeks. And yeah. so it's cool. I, ju I just took two weeks of travel and now I'm getting back to my emails. I feel a little stressed because my inbox was at a hundred today. That's like a ton for me, but, um, oh. <laughs> it's not the end. I don't feel stressed. I feel stressed because of the clutter, not because I'm letting people down. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. I got to get that course and set that up. Um, I will be happy to hook you up. Thank you. Yeah, no, I need that. I think email's the biggest, the big biggest time suck for sure. Um, yeah. Do you have it any? It is. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. Go on. And and people need to remember email's not work. Email's talking about work. I know. And your email inbox is someone else's, it's a to-do list that anyone can put shit on. Yeah. 100%. So. Okay. Do you have any other big productivity tips to share? Oh, my God. Goodness, do I? Um, Give me something off, unique. Yeah, something unique. So proactive versus reactive. It all comes down. It, time management isn't a real thing. It just doesn't exist, right? Like time is going to pass whether you manage it or not. What people should be thinking about is attention management. Okay. What you only have so many hours of attention in a day. What are you going to spend your attention on? The easiest productivity hack in the world, and yet it works, is at the start of each day or each week, write down on a piece of paper what you need to accomplish. Like what are your crucial results for the week? And I guarantee you clearing out your email inbox is not a crucial result. It's probably something like finish that report that's due at the end of the month or write, you know, chapter three of my new book or contact, you know, blah, 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 and close a deal for $20,000 or whatever it is in your job. That's a crucial result. And then do that. It's like mind blowing. Just do that. Don't do email. Don't do chats. Don't do other stuff until you've done that stuff. Yeah. Because it's like that old Buddhist adage, right? If you have a glass and you have rocks and you have pebbles and sand and water and you put them in the reverse order water sand pebbles rocks the rocks won't fit but if you put the rocks in first then the pebbles pebbles will go in between sand will go in between that and the water will go in between that so hit the rocks first and i can't tell you how few people do that yeah i definitely fall into that trap too and i think that what helps me is turning off all the notifications because yep. if I see I have 300 emails, I have this urge to go answer them all. And then I don't get my to-do list done. Yep. Yep. Um, I want to talk about speed reading and yep. how people can start to learn to read faster. Yes. So first, it, it I hate to break it to people. It starts with memory. You got to upgrade your memory first because I know way too many people ha who have uh, taken a speed reading course and then realize like, wait a minute, I don't retain anything. And it comes down to the memory techniques we've been talking about. Once you have a bulletproof memory, then, I mean, speed reading is is very simple to explain. It takes a long time to uh, to understand and, and actually implement. But it's basically optimizing the movements of your eyes and you want to reduce, but you can't eliminate, that voice in your head. You'll never fully get rid of the voice in your head, but you should be able to reduce it quite a bit. Okay, so 
Are you trying to read all the words on the page or just some of them? All of them. Yeah, all of them. I'm just not hearing all of them in my in my uh, mind's voice, if you will. So when you first start, do you feel like you're not actually remembering any of it? You feel like you're not actually getting any of yeah. it at all. Okay, so it's just practice. Uh, it is, and we have a methodology for getting people uh, to level up gradually. And we also have certified coaches because it takes time and it can be frustrating for people. So we have coaches that work with folks. So how long does it usually take to like be able to learn to speed read? I'd say a few months of pretty regular practice. Okay. And you've also said like this increased your comprehension as well. It did. Yeah. My comprehension actually went up as my speed increased. How is that? Well, uh, it's all in the memory techniques. Okay. So you're doing memory techniques while you speed read. Uh, the memory techniques are actually for storing the memories after you read. Okay. The, the speed reading, you can kind of create visualizations as you speed read, but realistically, the memory magic happens in those pauses in between the pages and then in between the chapters as you're doing that review and creating these mental images. Okay, so when you speed read, are you also doing highlights? I do, yeah. I'm very much for highlights, again, because it makes it easy for me to go back and do that spaced repetition we talked about. Gotcha. Okay, this is. I would be very curious to watch you do this, see how fast you are. It is interesting. So we, uh, we do not make claims of like 2,000 words per minute and all this crazy stuff because yeah. science hasn't proven it. What science has proven in their effort to disprove speed reading, the conclusion was, yeah, you can't really read faster than 600 words a minute with 100% comprehension or 750 to 800 with 80% comprehension. And coincidentally, that is precisely uh, what we claim. Not wow. coincidental. <laughs> bold, bold move. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So... Kind of related back to brains, you know, people will say, I can't speak read or I can't memorize things. I have a bad memory. And what do you say to that? Well, as long as you say you have a bad memory, you will have a bad memory. Your brain uh, will do many, many things to prove that you are right. My answer to that is you do not have a bad memory. You have never been trained to use your memory. Very simple. Do you think that people who have had brain injuries are at more of a disadvantage? Depends on the brain injury. The brain is a very complex uh, instrument, but there are many, many people who have had brain injuries, including a student of mine who had a traumatic brain injury and are able to redevelop their memory. In fact, a lot of people get into this because of issues with their brain and discover that they can actually heal their brains, mm -hmm. first off, through proper nutrition and lots of good sleep. I mean, th th that all goes without saying. Nothing that I've taught you today will be of any value if you're not sleeping enough and giving your brain proper nutrition. Mm -hmm. But you can heal your brain and you can supercharge your brain with these techniques. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not a neuroscientist, but... <laughs> Isn't there science where, you know, if one part of the brain kind of shuts down, doesn't the brain, you know, shift around a little bit and you, it can rewire in new ways? Like it's very Yeah, plastic. it's we're highly, yeah, exactly. We have really high levels of neuroplasticity. Again, really depends on the injury. But, uh, but and I'm not a neuroscientist, I should qualify. But uh, it's, it's amazing. Like you, you see people who, there's a classic case where someone had a, um, a railroad rod that went through his skull and knocked out a piece of his brain and he his personality changed but he kept a lot of the functions of his brain i mean all of them like he, he was he lived and yeah. the brain kind of like rewired itself so there are instances of those i don't recommend anyone remove a part of their brain <laughs> but um but you know if anyone out there is listening and they feel like their brain is broken I would tell you it is not, and you can heal your brain. It's it's more plastic than any other part of the body that I can think of, except maybe the liver. But uh, it, it's it's quite adaptable. 
Good one. I like the liver comparison. Um, right. Well, okay. As we kind of wrap things up, I want to end with this discussion about nutrition. And you mentioned sleep, getting enough sleep. But when it comes to nutrition, what is your opinion on the best way to optimize the brain? Yeah. So our brains are really sensitive. Uh, they need a certain level of glucose in our blood. They obviously need a lot of nutrients. They need a lot of minerals. Uh, our brains need magnesium, which most of us are not getting enough of. Uh, they really like omega-3s. What they don't like is spikes in blood sugar. Your brain does, I mean, your whole insulin system and your pancreas, they're all trying to regulate your blood sugar. And it's partly because of your tissues, but really it's because your brain is incredibly sensitive. Too low of blood sugar, you'll black out. Too high of blood sugar, you'll damage tissues. And so what's best for your brain, and I know people aren't going to like this very much, is a diet lower in carbohydrates and devoid of sugar. That stuff is not good for you. There's some early indications that it may cause Alzheimer's. You really want to give your brain and your body a steady nutrient source, which means you're getting your carbohydrates from vegetables and non-super sugary fruits. Um, sweet potatoes, also okay. Not white rice, not pasta, not Wonder Bread, not a sugary cola. And then you want to be giving it, of course, uh, a diet high in nutrients, which means you're, again, getting your carbohydrates from plants. Uh, and if you're eating meats, which is fine, and eggs and animal products and stuff like that, you're eating high-quality ones that uh, that have nutrients in them and trying to avoid foods that are, uh, let's just say, uh, nutrient-poor. Yeah. Do you follow a ketogenic diet? I'm not fully ketogenic. I follow a paleo diet, okay. and then occasionally I'll I'll do more keto based on where I want my body fat to be, and I will uh, do intermittent fasting. So yesterday I did a 24. I've gone up to 72 on the fasts, mm -hmm. um, and I try at least once or twice a week to do an 18. Gotcha. How often do you do like a 24 to 72? I try to do one once a quarter, but uh, it can be really hard with travel schedules. Yeah, true. What about any supplementation? What do you think about things like nootropics? Yeah, I'm a big fan uh, as long as people are experimenting safely and with the approval of their uh, physician. I'm a big fan of nootropics. I really uh, I believe, like I said, that we're not fully adapted to this world that we live in, like no paleolithic caveman or cave woman had to sit at a desk for eight hours. So, you know, within the limits of safety and not compromising your health, I'm a big fan of using, using substances that can elevate your, your focus, your consciousness, improve the, the chemical balance in your brain. I'm a huge fan. Do you take any I do. Yeah, I take all kinds of stuff. Today I took mushroom coffee. Sometimes I will use a paracetam. Sometimes I'll still use a Ritalin if I really need to sit and focus. Um, I've got a different myriad of substances, but truthfully, my favorite one these days is Four Sigmatic mushroom coffee. I drink that quite a bit. I just made some, so we're twinning. <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. And then one thing I just wanted to ask, is there, do you know of any research behind, if you're moving, does that enhance memory if you're learning something while you're moving? It does. It does. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when you're moving your body, it definitely can enhance uh, your, your kind of like neurochemical balance for learning. Uh, but at the same time, you can, you can do that also by going to a new space. So sometimes if I want to do some really deep thinking, I'll just like go to a floor of the WeWork that I haven't been on. I'm running out of floors, but I'll go to a different room or I'll go to another location of WeWork and just sit in a new environment and I can usually get more creative thinking. Uh, and it's because of exactly what we talked about. Your brain is just cranking out different chemicals to remember your location and it, it's kind of optimizing your brain's performance. So in general, would people want to switch locations when studying the same thing or do they want to stay in the same location? 
there is some indication that you want to stay in the same location. But um, it depends also, you know, I hate answering every question with it depends. But if you're trying to do new creative thinking, go to a new place. If you're trying to review the same subject, make that your your place for history. Um, And these are these are like tiny little adjustments, you know, but uh, every edge counts, right? Yeah, it all adds together, I think, right? <laughs> yep. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this information. I'm sure it is going to be very helpful for everyone listening. I have one last question. So if there's one thing that you would recommend everyone go out and do today to enhance their memory, what would you say? Yeah, go out there and practice what you learned in this podcast today because it's only going to work for you if you actually apply it. The techniques only work if you do. So Mm -hmm. go out and create some visual mnemonics and try this stuff out. Amazing. All right, Jonathan, why don't you tell everyone where they can find more from you, your courses, your podcast, your new book? Yeah, so I would love for people to go to superhumanacademy.com. They can check out our courses, podcast, and then if they go to superhumanacademy.com slash book, that is a great place to check out my latest book, The Only Skill That Matters. It's been topping the charts for uh, seven weeks now, and I would love if people pick up a copy um, and and maybe even a copy for stocking stuffers. <laughs> Good idea. Amazing. Thank you again so much, Jonathan. I had so much fun chatting with you. Likewise. Huge shout out to Jonathan for coming on the show and sharing all of his knowledge about how to enhance your brain and learning abilities and read faster and just be a superhuman. So if you want to learn more from him, make sure you check out his podcast, The Superhuman Academy Podcast. Check out his new book, The Only Skill That Matters. You can find him on Instagram at entrepreneur and check out all of his courses they are amazing at bit.ly slash superhuman crw as always if you enjoyed the show make sure you share it on social media tag me tag jonathan tag wellness wellness podcast and that way i can say thank you and share your share which really helps me spread the word about the show i love when you guys share it and if you're not already in our facebook group wellness wellness podcast tribe make sure you head to facebook search that and join so you can connect with other like-minded listeners and of course if you haven't already left a rating and a review on itunes and you want to show your support for the show and let me know that i should continue to put out this type of content make sure you take a second to leave a rating and a review on itunes truly means the world to me that's going to be it for today's episode i hope you learned something very useful that you can take with you into the rest of your day maybe teach it to someone else spread the love and i hope you have an awesome rest of your week and i will chat with you again next time bye Thank you.